The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. So I want to take the the first, obviously, few seconds here and welcome everybody in. And I'm uh, super excited to be doing uh, this. Is actually, only our second podcast or recording podcast, whatever you want to call it, that we've done. So I'm really excited about that and super excited not just to have our guest, but um, the fact that this guest is also a very, very good friend of both mine and uh, Anthony. So we're going to start like we always do, just a, a brief introduction of everybody. Uh, as always, uh, my name is Todd Edwards. I did 30 plus years with City of Atlanta. Own a small training company now and pretty much just do that. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. We have a lot of really, really exciting things coming up. Uh, if I ever get time, I'll update the website with all the upcoming training events that are going to be going on uh, all the way through 2024. So um, we'll get that update out hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So uh, Captain Rowett, go ahead. Uh, Anthony Rowett, I'm a captain with the Mobile Fire Rescue Department, Mobile, Alabama. Uh, been with Mobile for 15 years, three years as a volunteer in northern New Jersey before that. Uh, like Todd, own a small training company, travel with him a lot, with our guest a lot, and uh, looking forward to what he's going to bring to this conversation today because I got a feeling it's going to be funny and interesting. <laughs> and so now, without further ado, we'll let our guest introduce himself. Still trying to fix my light here. Sorry. <laughs> I can see you. Good, good. All right, I'm Brandon. I work for Atlanta. Been in the fire service for 16 years. Been here for what will be 12 here in a couple months. And I uh, I work with these two guys on my uh, computer screen here. So I don't know. I hope this is a good <laughs> intro. I don't know. So, um, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, that was not a great intro, but that's all right. We'll, <laughs> Well, well I'll, I'll help add to his, int his intro. Thanks. So, uh, one of the one of the really interesting things about the fire service that we tend to forget, and I know we, we you know we we tend to focus on engine company, and that's what you know we'll obviously get into that subject a little bit. But on the family side of things, uh, I think it would be just you know um, wrong for us not to talk about our family sometimes. And Brandon. Um, I know you don't, you know, go into a lot of detail. Brandon has like 28 kids and uh, been married five times and all those. <laughs> so I know it seems a little off topic, but it really isn't because I think you'll kind of see where I want this to go. So Brandon, just kind of tell us about your family and, the, and your family setting and where you met your wife. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that work here. There you go. So, yeah, me have uh, five kids to live with us. That's done. <laughs> um, she's her and I both work for Atlanta Fire Department. She works down the background of recruitment. I met her at um, the company I was previously assigned to, a company too in Lakewood, and uh, 
that was a thing. <laughs> Sometimes you never know what's uh what's coming <laughs> to you, to say the best. So <laughs> you never know. Um and yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's that's the moral of the story. I mean, she's way better at this than, than I would be in any year. She's really good at this kind of stuff. But like telling the whole story and how it all works out, but one of the things she just points out the most is that like it's an interesting dynamic to say because there's things that she understands and there's things mm-hmm. that she doesn't understand about the fire service. And it actually, it actually helps me a lot. Sometimes it, it hurts me at times where I want to go home and say, ah, oh, baby, I worked all night long. I'm so tired. And she's like, no, you didn't. You worked at 27 yesterday. Don't try it. But, but, but no, but like, honestly, it does, it does help out. A, it helps out a, a, a Lot and it helps out a lot with our um, with training and her being supportive. It's great. I think I I think I answered yeah. the question. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. And I just bring that up because uh, say say that again, Brandon. You were away from your mic. Oh no! I was just saying that so, it was. So, Brandon, you still got us. That was very loud. So you're kind of freezing a little bit. I think I'm. Yeah. You're like picturing a little. Yeah, bit. he has computer problems, like always. That's all right. He's <laughs> going. It, it's all, yeah, it's all going to get edited, bro. Don't even worry about that. Don't even worry about that. So one of the reasons I bring that up is because in the fire service, we tend to sometimes forget how. we tend to forget how much um, our families have a bearing on our careers. And that kind of leads me into this because um, Brandon is a brand new, and I want to say brand, brand new, but he's a brand new officer with Atlanta fire rescue. And I want to kind of delve into that being that uh, coming from uh, his background and his history, his family life, you know, he doesn't go home, but, uh, from and I will ask actually the first question to Captain Rowett if he can remember being as old as he is in the fire service. What was one of your major challenges, Captain Rowett, when you first made officer in Mobile? Um, we probably have to do with the fact of just realizing just the responsibility that's on your shoulders now. Um, going from even driving and you were in the front seat. It was still more like you were you were part of the men. You were joking around, having fun all the time. And a lot of that responsibility fell on somebody else. And then when you got in that seat, the first fire you're going to, you look back and it's not just your buddies in the truck anymore with you. You're starting to realize they got a family at home and your decisions are really going to impact, um, you know, their safety and the fact that they're going home to their family. And they've got people waiting on them and that's riding on your decisions and it becomes real, really quick. Um so that was that was not necessarily hard, but a realization real quick um, of that what that responsibility really is that's falling on your shoulders. And then bridging that gap of being one of the guys and now being the boss and finding that medium where you can still be there, be you know around them in the firehouse. You can still joke around, but there's also that line in the sand that you are their boss and how to navigate that and still have that relationship in the firehouse, but be able to be the boss when you have to and handle everything and, and put the job first because that's ultimately what it comes down to. So navigating that was probably the most difficult being young and into that role. But the the realization of the responsibility was a reality check real quick as well. 
Awesome. And, and, and uh, Brandon, I'm going with literally the same exact question. And being that, you know, you're still probably going through some of these challenges, obviously. But what, what did you see as your biggest challenge as a new officer that may be able to help somebody else who just got promoted or somebody who, you know, on the verge of being promoted to a company officer? You know, I, I'm actually kind of and thinking about how the same thing that Ant was saying, kind of piggybacking off of that. Uh, a part of it to me, too, was the amount of influence that you didn't realize that you were going to have. And I kind of I say a thing, but I kind of it's, it's a joke. But it's, it's, it's serious in the way that yesterday when I we had this after action or we had a meeting and I threw something in, it almost felt like it got maybe blown off. And not blown off because they didn't care about your reputation or your being a fireman, but it was just, you know, that's where you were is at that rank. The next day you have the same after action. You give the same comment and then they say, wow, Lou, we should really look into that. So it was funny kind of at first, but then now it really makes me pause and think about the things that I actually say out loud because the impact of your words now means something. When you meet somebody who didn't know you previously, Mm -hmm. They're now talking to somebody who's supposed to represent this amount of uh, responsibility and be able to take care of them, that you should know something, and they automatically go into the conversation just assuming that you do because you're in that role. So, I mean, you know me. Uh, you were my BC for a while. You know how I can be. Just really having to scale some of that back and realize that there are people who are really watching you now and the things that you do are really going to matter to somebody. Knowing that you can shape somebody's career. I got a young guy. I'm his first officer. I'm literally his first officer in the fire service. And the way that it goes for him, it won't be all dependent upon me. But how he looks at it, a lot of it's going to be dependent upon me. So it's really important that I, I, I temper or I at least pay attention to some of the things that I say how I say them. Man, it's a lot to it when it comes to that. But, you know, hey, I'm working on it. It's only been a year. <laughs> it's been almost, it's going to be a year this, this month. So. <laughs> so we're getting there. I think one of the, one of the key things that Brandon, one of the key things Brandon said right there was, um, you're somebody's first, you're their first influence, you're their first officer, their first leadership. And especially when you have guys coming to you that have not been exposed to any kind of leadership in their careers or their previous careers, uh, that is a major, major influence that we, that, that we have. And I think um, for, for guys listening and even bosses that have been bosses for a while, when you get that new member, you're their first influence. You're really their first um, uh, impression of the organization. And I think we, as as officers and, you know, current and future officers, that's something that we have to take, uh, you know, a lot more seriously than we sometimes do. And, you know, temper and say things in the right light. And typically, you know, I'm always going to err more on the side of being on that positive side of things uh, when we have these new members coming in, and especially a brand new, 19 20 year old rookie coming out of the academy that uh doesn't know us yet so that i think that is a monster um a monster responsibility and deal for a new officer and even current officers to kind of keep that in mind that you're the first uh first impression that some of these young men have and young women have when they come to these firehouses so i love that answer and i and uh i think that's a it's a great way to kind of kick things off 
So let me uh, let, let's go back. Let's change up a little bit on the fire service, and this is going to go to both of you, obviously. Um, what do you think uh, as far as how much does your reputation on the job have a bearing both on your leadership abilities on and off the fire ground? I'll start with Brandon on that. Your reputation, how does that have an effect on your leadership abilities uh, as a new officer and even for a, you know, a, a more senior man? How does that reputation affect things? So a lot of times we, I say in the service, we always say reputation is everything. And then it really is, because if you can't, if you can't get what you want to say off the ground, because of what somebody already thinks about you, then what you said, all of all of it's kind of you know null and void. Um, I was just talking to somebody about this, and I do want to say this. I don't want this to be, to be you know to go without saying. Being able to take. Being able to use your reputation and, and accepting it for what it is and viewing it with indulgence and being honest about yourself with being honest with yourself about it will get you much farther than trying to skirt around it. So what I mean by that, this is, again, the officer thing, right? Everybody knows. They, they all know me here. Everybody knows me. So I already, you know, he, he knows. They, they know how I am. I could be a high energy, and we can have a whole lot of fun. Let's just put it like that, right? So I know that about myself. I know that that's, I know that's my reputation. I know that guys see me and it's like, oh, man, come on, we're about to have a good time, right? Not trying to, I, I can't, I don't shy away from that. I can't, I can't, I can't go away from that, be somebody different. If I showed up tomorrow with a completely buttoned up shirt and my hat on forward and my boot shine, everybody would be like, hey, man, what happened? It's really weird. You know, that's not me. So I say all that to say, does play the largest part in what you want to, you know, and how you want to present yourself. At the same time, as you grow, as you mature, people can understand that. And as long as you're honest with yourself and what your reputation is, you don't have to take take it as, you know, you can't change, change even though you're maturing, you're not changing who, who you are. So knowing that those two things go hand in hand, you being honest with yourself, and about what your reputation is. And then at the same time, while you're growing and maturing, and as long as those two things meet and you're being true to yourself and you still love the fire service, then you know everything should be able to line up for you. I, I think that, that uh, makes sense what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. You're spot on. And uh, when you see me look down and, and scribble, I'm scribbling. If, I, if you see me writing something, that means it was good. If I don't write nothing, then it means it was way stupid. So you were spot on with that answer. <laughs> I'm taking notes so we can add you to his next class. <laughs> I am. I'm stealing all this, brand. So I thought one of the things that you said, though, that I really, really – there's two major points there out of everything you said. Uh, embracing your reputation and not changing who you are. Um, obviously, we do change, I think, a little bit. But I think uh, there's no shine away of your reputation on this job because everybody knows – and when you try to change, um, guys are going to call you on. Well, hopefully they'll call you on it, and uh, and that that's definitely another challenge there. And I want same thing, the same question to to Anthony there. I want to ask you the same exact question and see what your response is. I have my pen ready just in case you say something I want to steal. Go. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to kind of piggyback a little bit off of what he said with the first part of when you first get promoted. Um, 
your reputation, you're going somewhere new, you're not staying where you were. So you may not have worked with those people a lot and all they really know is your reputation. So it's really going to set their expectation of what's coming with you as a new officer. So um, with that, obviously, the reputation for being a good fireman, being good at the job is going to carry the most weight. Um, they're going to be the most willing to to be relaxed and let things go as you're learning because you're good at the job and they know that. Um, but the big thing is, and it goes back to not changing, is it's hard to, to get in an officer role. And I've seen people do it where you, as a firefighter, you were 10 toes up in a recliner all day and didn't want to do much. And now you want to come in and you want your crew to train because you're in charge. You're going to make them train. We're going to do everything by the book. People struggle with that because why are you instantly you change because you got some some collar brass on a different color badge and they struggle with that because you're a completely different person and you're asking completely different of them than you did in their role. And that makes it hard where if through your whole career you worked in busy companies, you worked with people that trained a lot and that's your reputation. You train a lot. You were always busy. You might get assigned to a slower company and they're sitting there going, oh, man, this guy's going to make us train all day. But they can respect it because you've been that person your whole career. So with not changing, that's a big part of it is what you were doing beforehand. You can't expect people to just respect you day one because you have a different badge on and you're asking them to do completely different than you did when you were in their role. But also, I think as time goes by, your reputation as an officer is a big part, too. And not just the decisions you make on the fire ground how much you let your people work and you're not holding them back. You just let them go. You don't micromanage them. How much you take care of your people and you put them first in everything is going to carry the most weight. You can make mistakes and guys will look the other way and still ride with you every day because they know at the end of the day, what you care about is them and that you're always going to have their back. You're always going to stand up for them and you're going to take up for them. So if you have a reputation for, for taking care of your people, it's going to go the longest way as far as people being willing to work with you, you know, as you're developing as an officer, you're always going to be growing, just like as you're developing in the fire service, we're always growing. I mean, how long you've been retired now and you're still sitting here taking notes? We go to conferences, you're sitting in the class taking notes, you're still learning, and you've been retired for years now. So if we're, all de we're still developing, that's going to be the true of us as an officer, not just as a firefighter as well. So as you're growing, you're going to still make mistakes. Guys are willing to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm still with him because at the end of the day, he's done this much right, but he also he, he always puts us first. And that's going to go a long way with people. So I think that part of your reputation matters just as much as everything else. Once you've been in that role for a little while and people know you will take care of them, you're not just going to come down on them for everything they do. And you're always going to take up for them. Even if they do make a mistake, you might not be able to protect them, but you can protect them to the point of making sure whatever happens to them is fair. You can't fix it if they were wrong, but you can make sure their punishment isn't excessive as well. You can stand up for them. So that goes a long way as well, in my opinion. How do you uh, how do you raise your hand on this? <laughs> like just do it in the video. Just do this. Okay. Just raise your hand. Yeah, go ahead, Brandon. You, Brandon. you, uh, you want to add on to that? <laughs> raise your hand. I, know, I, was a, no, I, really, I mean, I really like something that, that something that you said was really like impactful to me because again, it kind of went into that what we were talking about earlier. How you there? You had a promotion date, but you were still the same person. Just because you put some, like I told you, you put some rattle can red on your helmet, and now that's not the spray all like know it all. Now, like everything that you were still learning, everything you didn't know from the day of your promotion to now, is still, <laughs> it's still applicable. You still didn't know, and 
in the time that I haven't been demoted yet <laughs> and, and have, and have uh, achieved what I believe to be success and where I am, I've, I've learned that just being honest about, hey, man, I don't know. There's guys that you get promoted with 11 years on a the job. There's a very, very high probability that there are people who are senior to you in that company right now who you looked up to, who you wanted to be them. There are guys who are here who are drivers when I start and they're still here. That I don't I can I, I don't have to pretend like I, I can't learn from you out of somebody. And if I can if I can come in and say, hey man, show me that. Uh, can you teach me how to can you teach me how to do this? Can you teach me how to do that? And and it's more about empowering and not making them feel like, okay, well this guy, he was a kid to me so so long ago and now he runs here and think he's everybody's boss again. That's the the, the the reputation part there, you know, you know, you know who you are. Let's let's be honest about who you are. A little while ago, you were just running through this man guy's nuts, and now he's running around trying to be, you know, point the finger at everybody. That's that's not gonna work. But empowering and still being a student, even though now you are the person that's doing the empowering for them to teach. And, and I feel like thus far that's worked. So I'm still here. So that's good to go. <laughs> well, and I'll add too, like. Um, so one, one of my biggest mentors, he was our chief for a long time. He basically my whole time as a captain, he was our chief and, um, he recently retired, but he was the senior man of the job when he retired, had like 41, 42, 43, one of those years. And he, you know, you got promoted, you came in his district. He made his expectations very clear for you. And that's what made it very clear to me where everything falls is his number one expectation ex- expectation of you as an officer was to take care of your men. That was his number one expectation. He made it clear. The first thing you do is you you take care of your men. After he made that clear, he gave us our, his expectations of us on the fire ground. Because we can't perform well on the fire ground if we don't take care of them. Uh, it's not just you. We Sometimes we say take care of them and we, we kind of think towards the they got in trouble and we're trying to defend them. Taking care of them means te- teaching them their job as well. So when he said that, it meant everything. Taking care of them to where you treat them right, you're training them. You're out teaching them the streets and everywhere in your run area, but you're getting them prepared for the job. And then the the actual fire ground operation was the second thing he said, because we have to treat them right and prepare them for it if we're going to operate to the level he wanted. And every one of us from me as the officer to all of our members, we would do anything that chief ever asked. There wasn't anything he could ask us to do. We would say, no, we'd go anywhere for him and do anything for him. Everybody loved working for him. You knew what you were getting. He could be one of the strictest guys on the fire department. It, we were good with it because his expectations were clear and it was take care of your men. And then when it came to fires, it was treated like it's your house. He expected you to be inside. He didn't really want to see water going from the outside. in. He wanted to see it coming inside out. And he made that clear to you and he would let you work. He trained with you. He went to the drills with you with the high rises. He would come down like you were saying, Brandon, and he would say, hey, teach me about these buildings. I didn't work my whole career down here. I want to learn about them too. And we'd walk through the buildings, teach him about the high rises. But when we went to fires, he then let you work. He didn't hold you back. He let you work. And he told you you had to come out. You knew it's time to get out quick because it was bad. He was never trying to hold you back. But that all came from those expectations. And he made them very clear. But he started with taking care of your people. Uh, I think both. I mean, there's really there's not that (laughs) there's nothing I can really add to what you two just uh uh, went through. I, I've just been, uh, I just finished chief, uh, Frank Lieb's book. 
And one of the things, and this is a senior boss on the, you know, the biggest, baddest fire department in the country, FDNY. And it's one of the things he says in early on in one of the early chapters talking about um, remaining and being teachable throughout your entire career. And I've seen Chief leave. And I tell you, my one of my um, biggest mentors and one of the people I still see to this day, I see some of these senior guys that are out teaching all over the country, but there they are in these classrooms still learning something new or picking up some other little nuance, whether it's on equipment or a technique or um, on leadership or whatever that is, because things do change in the fire service. And these guys are still out there learning. uh, they're, They're teachable, not for the first year or after they get promoted, they're teachable for their entire careers. And I think if you're going to be engaged in this job, long term, you have to be teachable. And there's always something, you know, I jotted down about uh, the senior members. And, you know, not everybody has that luxury like an FDNY uh, where you have those senior men. And, and Brandon's blessed to be at a company that has some senior members out there. And, uh, hell, those guys were driving when I was still there, you know, just five years ago. They were They were driving. I mean, you know, so... These are senior members that we can all learn from because they've been to fires, they've been to incidents that maybe you or I haven't been to. So we should, you know, for lack of a better word, take advantage of that and and learn. But that still comes from that personal inside of being teachable. And not everybody is. Not everybody is. Something happens when they get those damn plungers on their collars. It just uh, plugs up their eardrums and they stop listening. And I don't, I, I don't understand it, but it's just, you know, unfortunately it's nature of the beast sometimes too. So kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of staying on this one subject, but I want to kind of ask this other question um, because the fire service is changing so fast and so rapidly right now. And we're seeing this un, just unbelievable, unforeseen thing of all these new firefighters coming into the job. Uh, they're much younger uh, the backgrounds are so much different than ever before. The, uh, you know, for all the guys still talking about millennials, you can drop that. They're, you know, most millennials now are company officers, but this, you know, this new generation of firefighters coming in. What do you think the new chat, what do you think the biggest challenge is for a new firefighter coming on to the job today? And I'll start with, uh, let me start with uh, Captain Rowett. What do you think the biggest challenge is? Is I'm and and don't say don't say anything negative here, uh, Rowett. I'm 21, <laughs> and I just came into your company. What do you think the biggest challenges I face are um, right now? And you got some young guys. One of your main young guys I, is basically like having a toddler <laughs> in the fire out. So yeah, what do you a think few the of them are. As, as they tell me. I- they tell me I don't have three kids. They tell me I have a one-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 24, a 27, and a 28. I, I get that told to me all the time by them. They they make it known that I'm there to, to look out for them and watch them. But um, I think a couple things I've noticed is um, a lot of the younger people coming in, they've had college pushed on them so much throughout their life um, versus a skill that they haven't had that hands-on push their whole life to not necessarily a trade or anything at that age, but um, as simple as knowing how to start a chainsaw or things like that. And we take that for granted that, okay, I know how to, you know how to start a chainsaw and you ask someone to start a saw and then they just look at you and you're sitting there kind of trying to figure out what's going on. You got to process, okay, we, 
we've really got to go to to step one. And one thing I learned, uh, I mean, it wasn't instant. It took a little while of being in that position was, okay, once you get assigned here, what you had before me doesn't really matter to me as far as, okay, the training center teaches this, this, and this. That's great. If I didn't personally teach it to you, I can't expect you to know it. So as simple as your first day, you're going to go, we have multiple different hydrants in the city as far as the different anti-tamper, you know, the devices on them and everything like that. You're going to go turn on every hydrant we have. So that I know personally, I watched you and you know how to do it. There's not going to be an, a pull up on scene. Why didn't you know how to, you know, you couldn't even charge the hydrant. Well, I didn't know. I've never seen that one. Oh, I thought the training center would teach it. That That's not an excuse. So it just become for me, if I didn't teach it to you, I can't expect you to know it. It's not your fault if you got it wrong until I teach it to you. Now, once we teach it to you and you show us you can do it, we can have an expectation that you can do it. But I'm not just going to come in and assume you understand anything just because you got the basic, very rushed firefighter one, two process in the academy because they got to get everybody through their big classes. You only get so many reps at it. You can't master anything in just a couple reps, but we can master it in the company. But that means we got to invest our time in you. So I can't expect you to know something unless I personally taught it to you or went over it with you at least and ensured that you know it. Um, so I think it's understanding that difference that not everybody knows how to start a chainsaw, you know, and understanding that and saying, we're going to go to basics in the beginning and we're going to make sure you know how to do everything. We're not going to assume that you know how to do it just because you graduated from the academy. And that's not a knock on an academy and instructor group. That's just saying they have to rush through. You don't get a lot of reps at it. You're having to learn a lot all at once. I can't just assume that you've retained all of it. But if I make sure you did, now while there's an expectation set that you know how to do it, and if you don't, we can address it. But until then, assuming you know how to do it is just setting us up for failure. So it's better for me to just invest our time in you and make sure that you know how to do it to our standards by us spending the time showing it to you. So that would I would say that would be the biggest thing. The other thing would be kind of the we run into uh, like, why am I the bottom? I've got this level of degree and I'm over here cleaning toilets. You know, like, uh, we've run into that where that expectation of where you're going to fall in the food chain is maybe misaligned. And that might not be just to today. That could have been happening years ago. I don't know. Uh, you know, just my experiences with it. You know, we came in, you. You clean the toilet with the brush going to the right. They yell at you. You're supposed to go to the left, you know, and you just say, okay, yes, sir. And you, and you do it. And, you know, we've just run into that of trying to understand where they fall in that pecking order in the firehouse itself and figuring out how to fit in, in that culture within the firehouse. Brandon, what do you think of new challenges? What do you uh, think that is? What do you think the biggest challenges for new firefighters, not from, uh, so, Maybe you have to go back a little bit in your mind about when you were a new firefighter uh, and what those challenges look like nowadays. So to me, I do have to say, all right, so I get to see in different ways. I coach a bunch of kids basketball. And uh, in particular, the one I'm the most partial to is my four-year-olds because it's the most unique and it also kind of reminds me of what you're talking about now with younger people in the fire service. And I explained this to you. Brody is four. He plays in a four to six-year-old group, but most of them are around his age. And he does well. In fact, he's 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 really good for his age. So say that. He plays in a four to six-year-old group and he does well. 
for some reason, he plays better when he plays with kindergartners and first graders who are much who are much bigger than him. And the reason with it is because when he plays with the four and six year olds, there's no it's hard to, to have any leadership because they're all playing with each other. And it's not really staggered. When he plays with the kindergarten and first grade, he gets the opportunity to play with his brother. And his brother really looks out for him. He shows him what to do. And he plays better with first graders than he does people who are his own age. So I feel like a lot of that is the same thing, that the same issue, I guess, to say we have in the fire service. There is a step between the proby firefighter and the senior firefighter and the driver and then the officer. But when you have uh, a level of maturity, you say at a time where everybody is here, right? I'm not, I'm on the, <laughs> where the, the bigger part of your, your pie chart is people with no time and no experience. A lot of times it is just the blind leading the blind. But we talked about the, in, in measure of leadership. Sometimes you may need to hear things a little bit less professionally than it's incumbent on me to say as an officer. But if you and everyone around you has one year, two years on, then it kind of turns into what it looks like at my kid's four-year-old game. Everybody's running around looking at each other and nobody knows which way it was going. When I started, there were guys with time and there were it was kind of stepped off. But by the time, because of the attrition rate and the way that the fire service is now, by the time you got three years, four years on, you're probably expected to be a driver by then. They're willing to promote you at five years to a lieutenant and you could be a captain at seven. So it's not like it was before where there are a lot of guys hanging out. You may have a guy on the back step who can tell you everything the way you need to hear it with 10 years on. Now it's just uh, we're, we're looking for that leadership at that level. And I, you know, I can't say I know how to overcome that. But, you know, with, with my kids, that, with my basketball team, I try to give one a job. Make sure everybody has their game. And then this one, make sure everybody makes it to the bench. Those are, they're, you know, not to say that these guys are just like children, but at the same time, there has to be a point where we have a distinguishment of leadership at, at, at the, the junior levels, not necessarily having to always hear it from a, a senior. I, I, think, I, think I love the analogy of your, uh, of your, of your son <laughs> uh, play. And sometimes that's a standard too. Uh, and I love, I love that you refer back to as the blind leading the blind. And unfortunately we actually have that in the fire service today with so many very, very young inexperienced officers leading very, very young inexperienced firefighters. So yeah, there is that maturity. There is that experience level that we're at. We there, it's a big gap right now in a lot of departments that I, that I go and work with. Um, and it's one of those things that we're trying to find different ways to maybe bridge that gap a little bit. And that's very hard to do uh, at times. But I think that's a that was a great way you the, the analogy you used uh, was was spot on when you take your, you know, your youngest playing basketball and then you look, you kind of, you know, blend that in with the fire service. I thought that was really good. Uh, a different perspective of looking at it uh, in a lot of ways. So I think uh, one of the, and I say, and I do this a lot when I talk about it in officer development, it's not to me so much always the young firefighter as it is the old officer. And uh, a buddy of mine and I were having lunch the other day, and he said something that really resonated with me. 
And sometimes it's those old eyes looking at new problems and they can't idea or they can't see it or they just they don't have that experience to know how to deal with those new firefighters or those new problems. So I think that's another one of those officer development challenges is opening your eyes and be a little more receptive and open minded to our new generation. And I, and I wrote down uh, something that Captain Roette said that we just assume that the 21 year old kid knows how to run a lawnmower. And I, I, I hope that uh, a certain individual Atlanta fire sees this first Friday. He worked. He did not know how to cut grass. Not you, Brandon, another guy did not know how to cut grass. Now, and I'll be honest, I was BC. I was battalion chief at the time. And I sat on the ramp and laughed like everybody else. But the difference was eventually one of the senior guys walked out there showed him the, how to walk a straight line with the lawnmower and how to pivot the lawnmower and come back and walk another straight line. But, you know, those are things like Captain said, you know, we, we can't assume that, you know, this, this kid grew up in, you know, basically the city. He didn't, he didn't never cut grass before. We should never assume anything when we talk about our new firefighters. But we also have to be a lot more receptive to new ideas. And I think that's one of the bigger challenges that I see that our new firefighters are having to fight through a lot of old ideas sometimes and new ways. So let, me, let me ask you, and I will start with Brent. <laughs> Say again. I was trying to find the camera again. I said, do you remember? When you oh, were, I'm sorry. I, I remember when you were here. And this is a, this is a while back. I had to have. A year or maybe and he was he was my PC and you had we had an after action and you were talking about something like this about how you know we we you know top people have a time on the job and experience and it was a young engine crew at the time and you said you pointed me you got a year on the job yeah I don't have nothing going on you got two years you don't know much you got three years he was driving you know and then you got six years you know just enough to get your get yourself hurt. That was what you said. He was our, that was our VC, and that was that was inexperienced then. Now, I don't even now that uh, it's worse than well, I say worse because not having experience is not a bad thing. It's opportunity to get it, so it's not you know inherently negative, but it is much more alarming because the fact that the two guys in the back. Both don't even have a year yet. The guy in the front doesn't have the guy driving has maybe two years. And the guy in charge is now responsible for all of this. So and I feel like that just kind of more so goes into what I was talking about before with it's 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 okay. You have to accept that and know where you are and build on that. The very first step for you being able to turn that situation around for it to be good for you to gain experience for you to grow cohesively as a crew is being honest about yourselves who you are and in the places that you that you are can improve at yeah um a hundred percent agree and i think um that's that's an ongoing challenge that from our uh, you know our ultra development programs we need to strive to be way better at the way we develop our current and then especially our future officers. Um, I'm not in the middle of a fight or anything, but I'm in the middle of trying to 
gain some understanding uh, about a project that I've been working on that, and it's just, again, it's old eyes looking at new stuff and they just cannot, they cannot see it the way it needs to be um, for this training project. And I, you know, so I'm trying to be very patient. I'm trying different avenues with these folks, but it's very flustering at times uh, because sometimes that old way comes out in me and I don't say the right thing. So I'm trying to be, trying to look at it the right way and find different avenues. So those are challenges though. Those are, those are challenges that we all face and how we, and, you know, and, and it can, it can really be uh, very frustrating at times when you're dealing with those problems, especially with our younger folks at times, but it's even more frustrating when we have somebody with experience. I want that experience shared with my one-year firefighter, my two-year firefighter, my three-year firefighter, because there's always something new coming down the coming down the pipe that they're going to face, and that kind of leads me into. And I'll start with Rowett. Number one challenge as an engine company officer. Number one challenge as an engine company officer on the fire ground, not not training, not around the firehouse. I'm talking about pulling up number one challenge as a tra- as a engine company officer. I'm going to kind of go off of something we've been talking about, and that's the um, the inexperience level on the departments. And I can't only speak to the call. I thought maybe you were going somewhere. I thought you were turning yeah. that down. But uh, kind of piggyback on what we've been talking about with the inexperience level in the fire department. Uh, I mean, just in, in my job, our company, and we have a lot of senior senior people in our company, multiple guys with over 30 years on the dip, among the different shifts uh, and everything, and, and guys with time. But even within your crew, like Brandon's talking about two guys with less than a year, I've got two with less than three. Um, and with, you know, fires, they're down. Uh, you know, hopefully you're still busy. But they're still down from what it was 15 years ago when I was riding on the back step of Engine 3 in Mobile. Um, but so they're just not getting as much experience as quick. So it's who you have with you. And then when you start having people off and you're getting people detailed in and then there's a lack of experience and you haven't been able to train them and they are new and you don't really know where they stand. And it's being able to not just your bread and butter fire where it, for us, it's a shotgun house and everyone knows the layout and. It's what we do all the time, but you're looking at a house, you have decisions that have to be made quick and you might need to be going and doing something. And you kind of feel like you need to be supervising even a stretch. Um, As simple as that sounds, going back to not assuming, if it's someone that hasn't made a fire yet or someone you've never worked with and they're very, very new with the lack of experience, fires aren't happening as much, is that that feeling like making sure it's right. You not always just, I know they got it. Um, cause like we had a fire one time in an apartment building and the truck boss asked if we could, it, man, do you got, do you trust your guys to get the stretch? Cause he needed, he wanted some help getting the door force and getting a search done, locating the fire. And they were stretching off the standpipe and we had a detail person with only a year or two on the job. And that was his question to me was, man, can you, can you help me? But do you trust them to get the stretch? And yes, because I had one of our guys that had a little bit of time on that was going to be right there doing it. So we were able to do it. But then if we were riding short that day, a lot of our companies ride with three. Most times we we ride with four. Everything just changed because of staffing. 10, 15 years ago, 
that wasn't a thing. Everybody rode with four, and that's just what it was. Now you lost a person, and you threw in a lack of experience. It's that that making sure mentally, do I need to help them, like supervise them, make sure it's right, or do they have it? When it's my guys, I feel like, yeah, they've got it. You get that detail and a lack of experience, and you're you might be looking back, especially when you do something like in that, hooking up to a standpipe. Not everyone in our city deals with standpipes very often. So even the truck boss, he's got 20 plus years, 26, 27 years on the job. That was his question. Man, can you help me get the door? But first, do you trust them to get the stretch right or do you need to go help them? Um, So I think that kind of plays into it where that experience level's coming down, staffing's coming down. You got less people to do it and they got less experiences to drive them off of with their decisions of where they take in the line, things like this based on what they're seeing. And you might need to go back and actually guide that when in before you might have been doing something else. I think um, I think you said everything. Go ahead, Brand. Same question. I think you just said everything I was just thinking. About. <laughs> this is literally the same. I, honestly, I, the word I was going to use to boil it down though was just confidence, and it's not the it's the confidence in ourselves. Confidence in ourselves, the confidence in our abilities, because of that, and, and our confidence in each other. I care at it. If I'm really being honest, since the time that I've been in office, I've been in that position way more times than I care to admit. Where we're given a task to do because of the um, what's the word that I want to use for this? because of the new way that we're having to evolve as a department going forward to, to our responses, um, some of the newer things that we're having to do that we didn't have to do before. I have all the confidence in the world and myself uh, to perform a task, but I'm not really gonna be the one performing the task now, am I? I'm gonna be having to supervise this guy or that guy to do it. And the internal struggle that you have of this has to be done. We have to do it, but I don't feel as good about you doing it as Marissa. I would have felt about me doing it. So uh, I guess that's the that's the biggest challenge is that you know trusting ourselves, trusting our people. Um, can me, you, and Ty go make a stretch on a one story web frame right now? Absolutely, hundred percent. Wouldn't think twice about it. But then you turn around and look and see who you have with you and say, "Oh." that same exact stretch I will feel differently about with me being the same person who I am. So that's the biggest challenge. And then even knowing, I mean, you know, everybody knows that that's yeah, what's the way with the way that we're evolving in the fire service nowadays. Like you said, you have a guy and you lose a guy like that. You, you, we're stepping in new people, you know, step after step after step. This guy may not have never, he's in a busy company. He may have never made a fire with you though. So when they give you an assignment and you have to go do it, you don't want to be a helicopter officer, but at the same time, you don't want to be two hands off if you don't know. So I guess it's just a that having to balance and juggle and, and learn, that's the that's the biggest challenge. You know, sometimes you gotta do it on the fly. You might be an engine company that gets assigned to go to the roof. You got two guys that never went to the roof before. That's a challenge. <laughs> making the adjustment on the fly. That's the challenge. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it, um, not, not to get lost in the idea that it just 
you're, you're realizing that as you're pulling up to a fire, you're, you're figuring that out in the morning when you come to work and you see what your manpower is and you're, you're already starting to make decisions because it does matter that you have your people or you have your two senior people versus two rookies. Even if they're yours, the experience level is different. What you would trust them doing if you have to separate from them and it just is what it is. It's not always the same operation of what you would trust them to do or have confidence in them, the confidence you have in the other companies coming. But even when you look at manpower, you get someone maybe you don't have a lot of confidence in. There's only so much that you can get done in that day to get them up to your level of, of confidence in them for what you can make a run on. You might go work on them with stretching. Well, then something else comes in and, you know, you're given a different assignment and now that confidence levels, you know, a little bit off. So like for us, we, we try to get people comfortable with the high rise buildings, with the ports, you know, the things that are going to be that low frequency, high risk stuff. And there's only so much we can do in a certain amount of time while making runs before that call comes in. You might not have been able to go over what with them where maybe you saw uh, an opportunity to help them improve and improve your confidence in them by the time that call comes in, or you had to prioritize. Yeah, they've probably stretched on a single family dwelling before, but now they could be first in to all these ships in the port. Maybe we need to address that because that's where they're not, maybe they're not going to even trust themselves as much. And you're trying to get that acclimation done. And then a fire comes in on something else and you're, you didn't get to address that. So it starts in the morning, but still at the end of the day, just in one one shift, one tour, you're not going to be able to bring your confidence level up in everything in them that you might make a make a call on. So you're prioritizing, but you still may have a call where you're like, oh, man, I don't know. Maybe I need to be right here with them and help them out. Yeah. I was, you know, I was thinking about that because I did the uh, the class out we did in um, – Oh, Tallahassee. Am Tallahassee. I saying that right? Man, I say that wrong every time. <laughs> I say that wrong every time. But yeah, they, um, really, they, 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 they lose their minds if you call Tallahassee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I ain't that bad. But when we did that, that was the thing that we talked about, and I kind of presented it that way. It's like, well, the job still has to be done. Whether I have six days or six hours, six years, on a job, if the house is on fire and I need to search, it has to be done. And sometimes you are up. Sometimes you're going to get your ticket for it, right? What you do with that, and I think I'm way off the question now, but what you do with that when you get back is going to be the difference in <laughs> what you do with that when you get back to the station and you talk about it, you get back to the firehouse, you get back in quarters, whatever, and you talk about it, that's going to make the difference of will it be better or are you just a ticking time bomb as a company? So if I say, hey, man, you, ain't, you don't have, you know, hey, you've been on for two months and now we're getting a vent job off the engine. That's that's really weird and highly not suggested, but it needed a hope. So are we going to train? Are we going to be realistic? We're going to be honest with ourselves when we get back? Or are we just going to say, hey, man, that was great. Try again next time. That's what's going to make you a ticking time bomb. So I think that's just really the main the, the main difference. In well, the and I, sometimes the your people are going to let you. They're going to give you some cues that they're uncomfortable as well, and let you. And you, if you pick up on it, you you know what you have to do. Like we don't do ship fires all the time, but we had a ship fire. It wasn't a big one. We had a ship fire, a very large ship, and we're walking up. And you guys know them, but we're walking up on the deck and we're going back to the stairs. And we've always said when we go in the ship, if we don't have a line stretched yet, 
the truck doesn't have a search rope yet, stay in my hip pocket. We're going to be right next to each other until we get this operation going. We're not separating from each other. Well, he's bumping into me as we're walking down the deck. And I'm like, dude, why are you so close to me? Why do you keep bumping into me as we walk? And he, well, Cap, I know, I know you don't really like ship fires. Yeah, apparently you don't either. And he was, no, you're, you're right. He let me know his uncomfortableness that he hadn't done that before. Well, if that's the case, if you, he's already letting you know that you're not going to separate from him as much as you might in a house fire. You're going to keep it closer and keep that supervision level a little bit higher. So picking up on those things, it might not always be that obvious where he's bumping into you and then eventually admits, yeah, I'm not that comfortable right now, but you've never done it before. You know, they're not, they're not the most comfortable fires to go to, you know, but when they let you know that, or you pick up on it, you can't just write it off and treat that like the senior guy that's been there and done that a bunch of times. You got to keep that in, a, in your mind as you're operating now and making decisions. And maybe you're keeping them a little bit closer than you usually do. You're not giving them the leeway you usually do. In a house, you trust them with everything. You, yeah, go do your thing. I got to do this. You got it. You know, case if you were riding three, you might say, "Man, you got it." Let me get you some slack. And there's just no one else to pull slack for him. And you leave him alone. And that ship, you might not because he just lets you know he's not comfortable. And you got to make your decisions on that. You can't just do what you always do. If we get a ship fire, I'm going to call you because <laughs> – If you get a ship fire, I think there's a problem. Something has gone very bad. Yeah, that would be the definition fire. of beaching it. Yeah. Yes. I've done I've – done, we've been doing some yes, stuff in, in, in the recent that's been like, but if we get a ship fire, you'll be the first one I call. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> So when, when I look at when I look at no, one of the biggest challenges as an engine company boss, and I would say this for ladder company, squad heavy, whatever you have, I kind of break it down into like four little quick, easy things um, to build off of. And the first the first real challenge, and this is especially true in the majority of the American fire service, is task saturation. So you show up with three guys and there are 10 things that need to be done. We got to stretch. We got four entry. We got to search. So task, task saturation can quickly overwhelm, especially shorter staffed organizations. So when I get those questions, my first answer is always pick the most important task and do that. And don't worry about all the other tasks because we can't. One of the biggest mistakes, and I still see it uh, today, uh, even in bigger organizations such as the AFRD, is straight, one engine company, one task. That means one line. That's not three lines. That's one line, one company. And that's how it really has to be broken down. So after task saturation, then I go back and look at my company as a boss and go task and talent. How much talent does my company have to execute a primary search off the line? How much talent does my company have to do the ship board fire? How much talent does my company have to make that hard stretch to the fourth floor of a, um, a townhome? And then that follows up with task review. How did we actually execute the task assigned to us or the task in front of us? When And Brandon was kind of on this same track if we don't come back and say, holy crap, guys, we couldn't have screwed that up more, guess what's going to happen when that task hits us again? We're going to screw that up even more. And then the, ta the, the task and the training have to come right after the review. And if we don't train on that task, that especially on, 
I don't care if we're really good at it. I want us to be great at stretching the first industry quarter hand lines. The first arriving engine, no matter how great your crew is, you are task saturated if you allow that to happen. And if you let that scene overwhelm you, you're not going to be successful. So pick the task most important. As an engine boss, the most important thing I can do is put water on the fire. Nothing else matters at that moment. If I can't accomplish any damn thing else, let's get water on the fire, and then we'll start addressing all the other issues. But I've always looked at it from a from a boss standpoint is, is task saturation and then tasking my talent. And again, that really goes back to what Brandon was saying. Your talent level, one day you got six months of talent behind you, and the next day you've got 20 years of talent behind you. So that really makes a huge difference. And then task review, what do we do really good at that incident, what we better fix, and then training to those tasks and making sure we're addressing. There's no way in hell, it's one of the worst things we've done in the American Fire Service, we cannot be experts at everything in this job. There's no way it's going to ever happen, and we should stop trying to be experts at everything. But goddamn, we ought to be experts at least one thing. And if I'm on an engine and I'm an engine boss, I need to be an expert at engine company operations. If I'm a truck guy, I need to be an expert at truck operations, heavy guy. And then you have that elite group that's on the, you know, the rescue companies that are dive experts and hazmat experts and all that stuff. But it's not one guy. It's a team of guys who combine themselves to be experts in a, you know, very broad based. Uh, I know Brandon's laughing because I know we have some guys around us that think they're experts at everything. And you're like, man, I hope we don't have a fire day because them jokers ain't going to be able to put out their own ass if it's on fire. So I understand all those aspects, but kind of that's how I've always kind of look at when we talk about the challenges of an engine boss is that immediately the unknown and the tasks that all need to be handled, especially if you've got the two story, I've got exposures on five feet of each side. What's my, what's the, that you are task saturated and you haven't even stepped off the rig yet and you already have all. And then grandma shows up at the door and says, Hey, my son's in the back bedroom of the house. It's rocking. You've got multiple tasks. You are task saturated and it's your job as the boss. Now, what are we going to do first and right now? And then your task talent is six months of experience on the back. And you know, them kids are pucker factor hundred. And that's where it all kind of has to come into play. And that's where you go back to the task review and the task training. So when we encounter that next fire, we're a little bit better prepared for it down the road. What are you giggling about? I can see Brandon's got, raise your hand, Brandon. You got something to say, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny just to (laughs) go. You say, it's just just a personal thing. When you say things, I start thinking about, incidents that we've had or been to and i'm like yeah yeah i think uh, is he talking about me right there yeah he was talking about me. <laughs> yeah been there yeah been there no i wasn't i don't care what decision you make make one make a decision do one make a decision well todd too i think out of what you just said yeah, a damn decision. i think out of what you just said todd the point to not miss because it's it's the easy one because the others we, we kind of do naturally is that task review um and to be honest be willing to get out of your comfort zone and say, this is where we screwed up and then to fix it. But if you set that, if you're the officer and that's what we've been talking about all day, uh, if you set that standard and that expectation and you do it consistently, that becomes natural to your people and they don't want to fall below a standard. So when you get to the point where they're coming up to you, you're, you're going to not 
even be looking at you're looking at how the operation went and you review it. OK, we did good here. This is where we could have done better. And you're looking at from overall when they start coming to you and saying, OK, well, what about this? Because I didn't see this. Now you get your chance to really prepare them for the next role because eventually they're going to promote. So and I go back, always go back with this point to, to a certain fire we had with Pettis. You guys know him very well. He was my nozzle man for a long time. Now he's my driver. And when we got back to the ha- to the firehouse, he said, what did you see? Because you were adamant, get that line in the door now. What did you see that you knew this was an occupied house and we were going right away? And it was, well, the one window, you could tell the door was closed. Everything in the house was window, fire out the windows. This didn't even have smoke coming out. He got that one. But when you see the burglar bar door open on the front door, that wasn't there in an open position at two o'clock in the morning. It was closed. They didn't put it there to look good. So you know somebody already came out of the house. So in your mind, that bedroom, we know this house is occupied. Get in there now. And it was just the speed of the game. The more you go to, you pick up on things. But it was they start coming to you preparing for their next step. One day I'm going to have to make these decisions. What did you see that I didn't see as quick as you did? And when you're setting, when that becomes a standard that they're they're trying to achieve such a, a high standard, they start not just looking at the task they did, but the whole operation and saying, one day I'm going to be in this role. How can I how can I get better? And when you get to that point, the fourth one, you said the training, you're going to do your part. They're going to start doing that on their own as well because they're holding themselves to such a standard. If we have a, if we have an issue, they want to handle it before it gets to me 100% of the time. They can't always, but you'll see them working on a skill, trying to do it first thing in the morning while I'm up doing paperwork because they want to address it without me having to. They want to get it fixed and be able to show me they did it amongst themselves. Okay, whatever your plan for the day was, let's do it. We've already We've already taken care of this. They're going to hold themselves to that standard. I, a hundred, I agree a hundred percent with what you just said. And it's a, it's a great learning tool for everybody. Uh, and again, it's going back to what I was saying, you know, with some of the things I was reading in chief Lee's book, we got to be teachable. And sometimes those lessons are hard. Those are some, there's some hard lessons coming, uh, you know, uh, Brandon's going to learn some hard lessons being a supervisor, being a boss, being a leader. And and um, all of us are constantly. But if we're teachable, those lessons are a lot easier down the road when those next that next. Oh, crap moment hits. This is going to be the last question. And it's it, I don't want to call it a hand grenade question. But I, I, I was really giving this. I was writing down notes uh, earlier this morning. And uh, let me do, let me do, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do Rowett first and then Brandon second, uh, because I know both of you have worked in this area of the fire service and in within your own organizations. If you could change one thing, one thing at the fire academy level, what would that, what, what would you change? You, I'm giving you all the authority. You're the fire chief of your organization, you get to change one thing at the academy, not the hiring crap. They've already, they're in your academy. Would be the one major change you would make to make the fire service better from starting from the day we hire those jokers and their first day in the fire academy. Rowett, you got first dibs. 
I'm going to step out just so, for two seconds. So my my biggest change wouldn't be 100% organizationally able to control because of the certification process, but it dictates how many hours are spent in the classroom versus out on a drill field hands-on. And to me, we've got them in reverse. I need, I need to be in the classroom. I need you to have an understanding and understand the process. But we're blue-collar employees. There's no, there's no doubt about it. You could be the smartest person in the world and understand what we need to do. But at that level, as a, as a firefighter coming out of the academy, if you can't perform it, we're lost. You can know everything about it and know this has to happen. But if you can't get the task done, the task didn't get done. And now we're behind the eight, be- eight ball. We're off. So it would be to reverse that role and swap that out, have less time in the classroom, more time hands on at that role. You're performing tasks. We need to be very, very proficient at performing tasks. The academy's not going to have enough time to teach you every skill, but you should be able to come out very, very confident in your skills and a, a broad range, a, Rome, a broad amount of basic, basic skills. And then we can build off that in the in the firehouse. But it would be to really get those those hands-on skills down. When we come out, you should be able to force a door very, very effectively. You should be able to stretch a line in basically any situation your department's set up. You should know how to stretch your pre-connects. You, if you run a bulk bed, you should know how to stretch your bulk beds. You should know how to use your high-rise packs. You should, If you use bundles, you should know how to stretch and extend a line. Very muscle memory-like because we should do it so much in the academy. You should know how to throw a ground ladder. All of these are tasks that we need to come out and be able to do very efficiently on day one because you, you might make a fire immediately at the start of your first shift and you need to be useful. So it would be to, to lower the amount of hours we're spending in a classroom and focus truly on hands-on skill development. And then I, I say this all the time, the senior man in the company, when I first got assigned out of the academy, my first shift, he made a statement to me. Every rookie we get gets the same statement from me he gave to me uh, because it just had that impact. He started asking me how to do things. We were performing skills, and he broke down to as far as you're going to check my vital signs because we make medical runs. Check my blood pressure, check, check my sugar, check my O2 set, everything. And to me, I literally asked the question like, I have an EMT license. Why are you making me check your blood sugar? And he said, because everywhere we go, you represent us. And the academy's job was to pull a rock out of the dirt. It's our job to polish you into a diamond. And I never let go of that. We give that same speech to every rookie we get. All of our guys believe in that, that it is their job to develop you. But we should be having these guys as developed when they come out on day one as possible with their hands-on skills. It's great for them to know something, but if they can't perform the task, they're not really serving much of a purpose on that fire ground and then, like we're talking about, riding with three people, that's the only one you got. If they don't know how to stretch the pre-connect or, you know, if it was stretch your standpipe pack or throw a ground ladder if you were in a truck or force the door, they don't know how to set the halogen, everything's off now. The entire flow of this fire just got screwed up. If they were in a truck and they don't get the door, the engine's delayed. If they don't know how to stretch the pre-connect, the water on the fire is delayed. All of this is going to compound and become exponential. So we need to get them very, very well-developed and their hands-on skills would be my biggest change, was to focus as much time as possible in the time you have allotted to hands-on skill development. 
Love it. Love it. All right, Brandon. And don't say, I was going to say the same thing. Give me something else. Man, I was going to say the same. Hey, you know what's funny? I'm like, actually, mine's like way on the other side of the fence anyways. <laughs> but um, what I would – so what I would have is somehow a position created that's solely 100% – autonomous from the academy that's meant for mentorship and allows recommendation. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of times when it comes to fire academy, when it comes to anything within the, you have the job, which we work, then you have the employment aspect of it. Right. And they're all kind of tied in. So if I'm a Lieutenant at the training academy and I fire like 40 recruits, I ain't going to be at the training academy. So if I want to keep my job, I want to keep my job. Sometimes we they're kind of handcuffed into trying to check boxes, and as hard or as good as they want to be at the job, we are still handcuffed. So, and then also you kind of miss that portion of being able to check in on the guys without them feeling like the answer that they're giving you is the answer that they have to give you. So, a guy who's autonomous. Would you say, or somebody who's there for mentorship is not there for just mentorship or recruits and pat them on the back, say, "Hey, you'll be okay," but it's for the guys who's been in the for the lieutenants too, you know. And maybe that's somebody who's retired. Maybe that's somebody again who's whatever private, whatever you want to look at it. But somebody just there to help oversee the process between the the different groups to make sure that 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 it flows properly. And so sometimes people just not going to hack it. I can't fire them. Right. He's not going to make it like this guy. He's not going to make it five years. I know. it, But I can't fire him as as the training lieutenant or man. I don't know if I'm going to make it five years, but I'm a a year and a half deep in this academy or however long a year deep in this academy. Now, I don't know what to do to get myself out of it. Or, you know, a lot of guys on those stations, there's so much of that middle ground that we just miss between the academy, between the academy staff and then the recruit. And if there was a way where you had people that could fill that gap without them having to worry, hey, man, I'm a contractor, whatever. <laughs> I don't got to worry what happens to me. <laughs> Something autonomous that can help out, I, I think that that would be a good position. That'd be a thing I add in there, kind of something to glue it all together. Love, I, I, I love that you said the mentorship because that's typically never done uh, at that level. And, hell, for most part, most departments struggle with that. Even when the guys get out in the field operations, they forget about mentoring these young guys. So I, I, I obviously I had a pre-made answer, and it was close. It wasn't the same as Rowett's, a little bit different. And I will tell you guys this, and this is my piece of advice, real quick for anybody who's wondering about how to run a train academy. Reach out to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City. They don't play. It is a full-on military break them down to mush and build them back up in the light of an Oklahoma City firefighter. They only care about their standards and getting these guys ready to go out and fight fires and save lives. And I saw the video. I was at a class recently and got to see this video. And the whole time he's playing this video, I'm like, well, I would have been fired for that. I would have been fired for that. I would have been fired for that. So if I was going to change one thing, one thing, my one would be stop coddling 
grown-ass people. If they can't do it, guess what? They can't do it. They can't do it. It's okay. Not everybody. Remember the T-safe. This shit ain't for everyone. But we spend so much time. Oh, it's going to be okay. Yes, I know you failed that same skill four times. You get another try. If that dude can't raise a ladder after four, he probably ain't going to be able to raise it on five, six, and seven either. So I think we need to set the bar a lot higher than we have been. I see that Oklahoma City, it was one of the best. I was so happy I was sitting in that room listening to how they run in their academy. And that should be the bar we set. I've had the privilege and the honor, and Rowett was with me when we were at the uh, Rock in New York and watch how their standards are their standards. You forget the tool in the building, you're paying the price. And it was a hard price. It was so hard, I even felt sorry for this person after a few hundred push-ups. I was like, oh, my God, I actually almost feel sorry for this person. But there was no babying, no coddling. No, are you okay? Can I give you a tissue? We've got to get that out of our fire academies. And we've got, and I'm not saying we have to, you know, I'm not talking about berating people, but we've also got to make this a what we do. Cause I've never been to a fire where somebody's having a bad day at the fire station and we give them a hug because they couldn't stretch the hose correctly. We've got to set that standard higher. And I agree with Rowett skills over books, skills over books, skills over books. One of the first lessons that and I think we do a poor job of this and I, and I think we need to be way better is history lessons. The first couple classes all be about the history of the fire service, where, what was the Dalmatians real job? And I know it seems old school, but you have a lot more respect about your job when you understand the history of where we came from and not midway through, but like opening day should be about the history of the American fire service, where we were, where we've been and where we're going and including the good stuff and the bad stuff. And those things really, I think, start really set a standard in your fire academy there when guys really have a true understanding that at one time we didn't, you know, the, the, you know, these firemen, you read report from engine company 82, they weren't re they weren't wearing BAs and they were going to 10 times the number of fires we go to today. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying having an understanding of where we came from makes for better firefighters too. It really, really does. And I think that's one thing I would definitely change. Get rid of the uh, ran, you know, the pansy pat on the back for every damn thing at the fire academy. Uh, bring back some of the old school a little bit in the academies. And, you know, every now and then a good, you know, kick in the ass goes a long way versus a hug. And, you know, here's a tissue, sweet pea. Go sit down and take an extra, you know, water break. Um, and making sure that our firefighters coming on today know our history. And I tell you, if you want to be really disturbed, ask some questions at your at your classes of young firefighters. Ask them if they know the number of how many firefighters were killed on 9-11. And when you see a 21-year-old kid who now is well removed from 9-11, wasn't even born, and they don't know how many brothers and sisters we lost on 9-11, that should be a red flag to our instructors and our academy instructors that we need to revisit and show them our history and understand that. Uh, Charleston's another one. I'm blown away that we have firefighters that don't know details about 9-11, don't know details about Charleston. And those are history lessons 
that build upon a career to understand where we came from, where we're at, and where we're going. That was my two cents. I could I'd go on like for hours about how to run academies, and then I just go watch this video from Oklahoma City. Holy crap, these guys are awesome, and they are. They, it was just it was an awesome experience to be. Able, I would love just to sit in the back of the room. Uh, I wouldn't want to be a student because I, I I couldn't keep up with these dudes, but I would love to be in the back of the room watching them run a whole academy. It was really impressive, uh, the standards they set uh, at their fire academy, and it's supported from the fire chief down. It's not it's not being done behind closed doors, and those kids know coming in, this is not a cakewalk guarantee. You're going to be here at the end of the of the training. The good ones are, the other ones are. See you later, and that's okay too. This shit ain't for everybody. Anybody want to add to that? Uh, on top of that, Todd, I would say the history is important when awesome. they get to the company too. Oh, Do up. So, yes, 100%. And this wasn't something I started. My, my guys came to me and said, hey, from now on, when we get a rookie, when you take them into office and you let your expectations be known, can we get 10 minutes with them when you're done before we do anything? Yeah, no problem. What do you want to do? And – they want that 10 minutes and they make the expectation known that because we've got pictures of like guys from our company in the that came on in the 60s that are the legends of our our engine company specific, not just the city specific to where you're working. And they tell the stories about these people. They let them know their names and then they let them know everything you have is built because of them. They set the standard that you have. Don't disrespect them. Don't dishonor it. What we're going to do, we're going to work hard because we're going we're gonna to follow the path that they set for us. And they take 10, 15 minutes to make that clear. Well, it's real now. Like you're seeing the guy's picture, you know his name, and you're riding in a seat he rode in. And they make that clear to you that that expectation was set possibly before you were born in a lot of these cases with some of our younger guys now. He said that the, the picture was taken in the early 90s. They were born in, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. That picture is older than they are, and it's being let made very clear to them, this is the standard, know where it comes from, and don't dishonor it. So it's not just department-wide or fire service-wide. Love it. We've seen Man. a lot of good come out of that, doing it at the company level, that this is where you work now, know where you come from. Love it, love it. Um. Brandon, any closing remarks before we shut this thing down for this uh, this uh, uh, podcast or video cast? I don't even know what to call it anymore. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I'm just, um, I mean, hey, thanks for having me. Uh, that's it. You know, I'm always really bad at the beginning and the end. And again, being honest with myself, that's the thing I need to work on. <laughs> but no, actually, one thing I did want to comment, I was trying to figure out where my camera was to raise my hand, is that how you were talking about the history part. Like, we can't, that kind of reminded me of what we were talking about earlier. Being honest, knowing our reputation, we can't hide who we are. It's okay, lean, lean to it, because that's the only way you ever get better from it. And I think that yeah. that's great and... Uh, for anybody who who watches this, I, I do. I, I hope that this reaches that it, it, that that is okay. You there? I have had me personally, and, he, and you will have everybody will have the greatest of times. You'll be riding high, and then sometimes it'll be like, oh wow, I don't even want to show my face at work, and you'll be riding low. And 
either way, as long as you keep the passion for the job and you love the job and you do your best to be good at it, continue to be good at it and make that the, the focal point of your reputation and all the other stuff is just negligible. It, it, it'll be fine. And as long as you're honest with yourself and know that, everything will work out. That sounds like a reading rainbow sign off, but I hope that reaches somebody because I think about that all the time. Like, you know, with that, with the fact that you hear people, people will hear you talk. I do want you to know this. This ain't always, everything ain't always for the guy who like, he's on top of the world. He's like the, the Jake of all Jakes, you know, he's riding high and he's great because he listens to podcasts. There may be somebody who's having a time at the job right now that sucks with them and they're listening to this podcast. As long as you're making it about the job and being good, that tie to yeah. time. Be honest with yourself, lean to the reputation and, and, and know what you got to do better and everything will be cool from there. So whoever that guy listens, that one, that one's hundred percent. Other than that, and uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> As always, never a dull moment, <laughs> guys. We appreciate you listening, appreciate you watching, and uh, we have a uh, a monster podcast video cast coming up uh, that we'll be recording soon. Uh, we're gonna have two guests. Uh, one from Chicago, one from Columbus, and we are going to be providing an immense amount of skills, knowledge on mid-rise operations like we've never done before. Super amped about this uh, podcast coming up. Um, it's, it's. I've, I've already got like literally pages of notes that where I've got to dial in. So when we get ready to record that one, it's, it's going to be huge. I'm so looking forward to it. It'll be dropping. I don't know exactly when because I don't know the scheduling now, but uh, we'll definitely be blasting that out. But that's going to be our next one for the Generation Engine. And we're going to touch base on everything from deck gun operations at high-rise buildings to mid-rise buildings, to not using a sandpipe, to use it. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking way forward to that one as well. Brandon, thank you. Anthony, thank you. I will see both of you uh, next week. And that is a wrap. Thank you. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more.